Hey, this episode is brought to you in part by Slate Real Estate Advisors and Signature Doors and Windows. Now, on to the show. Full moons are very creative moments for me, and I need to always make time for that. Like the two days before, the two days after, like that time, like, and I still do it. I mean, that meeting with my staff is a creative endeavor. Like, what do we want to be as a creative endeavor? Painting's a creative endeavor. Drawing a beautiful facade's a creative endeavor. But also, like, being a businessman and an entrepreneur now, like, it also, like, what do we want to be? Hi. Hello. 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 Hello, and welcome to Architecting. Go ahead. What do you say? I think of something new, but uh, I don't have anything. I was going to say good evening, but that would be weird because you don't know when they're going to listen to it. You shouldn't whisper because I still might use this. So just say it loud. <laughs> Hi, welcome to Architecting. I'm Rebecca Wagner here with the host, Adam Wagner. Hey, Adam, who's on the podcast today? Yeah, good evening. Uh, so today we have, you know, I always say I'm excited, but this one, <laughs> I, I think I called him uh, my white whale. He He's a guy that I applied to when we applied to when we moved here. And I think most, a lot of people who, who moved to Colorado apply to this firm. Um, and I, I feel like I just keep bugging him over and over to try to meet up or try to do things. And he's a very busy guy. And, and I, so I've never nailed him down until this podcast. And it was, it was really fun. Who am I talking about? Mike Moore. Michael M. Moore of Trace Birds. So again, I've, I've never actually hadn't talked to him before but he was really like this this like deep well of of energy and ideas and action and 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 excitement um it just seems like he 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 thinks and he he works very hard and and deeply and he gets really interested in things and really just dives into them so <laughs> You know, I, I really like a lot of their projects and I wanted to get into a lot of their projects, uh, you know, especially around Denver. There's a, a lot of great projects. Um, I, I I love, love spending time at the Family Jones. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and other projects just around us even. Uh, but we barely talked about any projects because this guy was just so interesting and kept going off different tangents and just the way he, he, he got to trace for birds and, um, the way he formed it and founded it. It was just really interesting. Uh, so, you know, it's a longer one and we didn't talk about that many projects. Uh, but I bet it's a good story. It's a good story. You know, he's, he's just, he's just very focused on a lot of different things, uh, be it from sort of art uh, but also construction um, and use of light and time and um, sustainability and reuse of materials and energy. There's just, <laughs> there's a lot there to him. And he, he, at least in this interview, he makes it seem pretty effortless um, as well as just, just building this firm, you know, this design build firm that, that seems successful and, seems to be made up of a group of 
very talented, uh, flexible team members and employees. Mm, I'm really looking forward to this one. Is this, is this introduction like as meandering as, as well, we'll find as out. The interview is. But do you hear the excitement in my voice? That's what he gives. So anyway, this was a fun one. Enjoy. But hey, today's episode is sponsored by Slate Real Estate Advisors, and we have Slate's co-founder, Jorgen Jensen, here to tell us more about their company. Thanks, Adam. Slate is a residential uh, real estate brokerage uh, created for design-conscious buyers, sellers, and developers. Uh, we do have an office in Lower Highlands. We've been here for six years. We're currently located at the corner of 17th and Central Street at Slate. Our passion has always been to connect people to exceptional living spaces. We are driven by design and the opportunity we have to enhance the quality of our built environment, local communities, and the lives of our clients. And I really love how engaged Slate is with our Colorado design community. They, they've published a design directory on their website, highlighting uh, many local architects, good architects, many of whom I've had on this show or who will be on this show. They've launched an art space in their office called Nook, it's Denver's smallest art gallery, as a platform for engaging the local art community and hosting events. And they published the Slate Edition, a digital newsletter, where they highlight some of the people, spaces, and places that they find most inspiring, both locally and globally. Uh, we're, we're glad to have them as a partner here on the show and look forward to uh, more of what they do. Check them out at slaterea.com. Hey, we're happy to be sponsored by Modern in Denver Magazine. For over a decade, they've been crafting fantastically curated content on Colorado designers and projects, spreading the gospel of good design within our region. And I love how the goal of Modern in Denver aligns with the goal of this podcast, to better build up and connect the community of Colorado designers. So go buy a copy of the magazine at your local bookstand, subscribe to their weekly email list, and follow them on Instagram. Check it out. How you doing? Good. How's it going? It's going well. Yeah, I had, a, I had quite a good day. We had uh, had some of my core people really kind of visioning who we want to be as a firm. You know, try to do that at the right times. And, you know, it's uh, uh, I'm open to change <laughs> and uh, change is positive. And, and uh, so, yeah, it was very good. Yeah, it seems... It seems like it could be kind of hard to stop working and focus on those sort of culture and firm things, but then those are the actual most important things. Uh, they mostly. are because, yeah, yeah, you may know this, right? But yeah, you can just put the blinders on and not and go somewhere you don't necessarily want to go. Yeah. And it seems like you guys well, had a, a like a ski day the other other week or something from your Instagram. We did uh, on Wednesday, yeah, yeah, which is not uh, we we do it once a year. Uh, that's that's not your typical uh, Wednesday. We, we've had we've yeah. had a couple of years where we've done it more than once. So it's not like something we do all the time, but it's super fun. <laughs> it's so great because it's like you know, it, it's like the equalizer in terms of, you know, we've got some new people here that are younger that maybe don't, you know, a little insecure in the office. Then you go skiing and they're fucking rippers. Yeah. And it's just like, all right, all right, we're all good. <laughs> it's like, 
it's like soccer. Soccer's been that for our, our company too. Oh, yeah. We've had like a soccer team and like it's usually like the younger, newer people who are like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> make, make Mike look good. That's funny. But, you know, sometimes it can be the opposite. Like I, I love those office ski days and, and we, I was at one firm and we got there and uh, like one guy showed up like wearing jeans and then, yeah. and we got up to the top of the lift. We forgot he'd never skied before and like oh. ran right into a pole and like, oh no! I mean, showing up in jeans, you, you pretty much yeah. know he's never skied before or else you're really good maybe, but, uh, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. Funny. yeah. Anyways. Yeah. Well, cool. You know, you're, um, you're like my, uh, my white whale here, you know, like, I feel like I've been pestering you for, for like six, seven years and I'm finally, finally got you pinned down. Uh, you didn't pester sweet. me once. And I remember you reaching out cause I remember you were married and mm. you guys were overseas and I was like, wow, that's interesting. It sounds like that sounds interesting. I remember we talked, I, Maybe. I, think we, I think we had an email that's okay. I, 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 we, I'm, we've never talked and that's yeah yeah uh, yeah but. well if I was ever not very good at communication don't take it personal no, I, no. I've it, got it, young girl I've had all kinds of <laughs> I got grandma living with us right now oh, I daughters I got wolf dogs I got a company I got my art I just Sometimes my communication is uh, less than desirable. No, y- your communication was 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 better than most, uh, and it, it definitely wasn't bad. But you know, I feel like I feel like each person who moves here, and I talk to them, or or a younger person, and we're talking about firms, and everybody says they apply to Trace Birds, and so it's just like, what what is that like for you? You have to, I mean, you have to get this like onslaught of emails all the time, and and to you know try to catch up people with, with people you will probably never see or you know it's got to be tough being yeah being so I, uh, good being so famous yeah trying you know? not to be rude but also like there can be some real gems that mm. that reach out to you and I, I mean i've hired most most everyone here reached out to me mm. you know that's it's uh oh, gosh almost everyone it you know they reached out and Good yeah. timing, you know, good yeah. timing for timing. reaching out or, you know, or, you know, I always look at, I, I will say this with everyone. I, I receive all that inquiry. My, mm. it comes to me um, and our office manager, but I don't know if she really looks at it, but I look at every uh, portfolio hmm. that comes in because that's usually for me what matters. I don't really care what school. I don't really care yeah. how much experience. I don't really and it's and it's but it what I've tried to get a skill at is determining well which of these projects I'm looking at did they actually do? Mm. <laughs> or which was like a group effort. Right. I can usually tell. And it's usually like the hand drawings at the end that are the individuals. And I mostly look at those. I'm like Okay, there's something here. <laughs> yeah, it, it's had it's had to gotten a little bit more difficult, right? In in the years where, uh, with with more rendering, where yeah. somebody could be really good at rendering in it, and it does kind of blow you away a little bit. But uh, then they get. I can kind and, of see through that too. Right, I I can kind of see through that too, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> and that's I, you know students come you know show me portfolios and 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 I say like where where's that where's that study model that we did. 
in week three, right? Like that was the best thing you did in the studio. Put put that stuff right. in, right? Put the sketches. Yeah, in. Yeah, you've put been the... a studio professor at at uh, at CU Denver mm-hmm. this whole time. Good for you. Yeah, that's where I went to school. I got my master's degree there. Yeah, yeah, it was good. Well, well, let's get into that then. All right, so, cool. Mike Moore. Uh, so, answer this awkward question first. So, who okay. who are you in in two sentences? Whew. Or less, maybe maybe you know three words uh, or more. Or, <laughs> genetically, genetically, just because I just did a twenty three and Me, that's what oh, I yeah? asked for for Christmas. I asked nice. for a twenty three and Me for me and my wolf dog. We'll start with wolf dog. Yeah, knew nothing about her other than she howls. She's very family oriented. She loves blood. She's <laughs> um, uh, likes being outside all the time. She's ten percent wolf. Wow, ten percent coyote. Wow. 20% like Ute Husky. Huh. And then, yeah. Uh, anyways, I forget the rest, but I kind of focused on the wolf and the coyote. Yeah, so, and yeah, I got real mine back and it was 70% Northern British Isles hmm. and 30% Russian. Oh, wow. And yeah. what, like 5% coyote or what? Uh... Maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe 3 to 5% <laughs> coyote. Northern British uh, Isles, and so so some Viking made it over from Russia at one time. Thirty uh, percent of you, yeah, something. Yeah, I uh, how about I describe myself as uh, a, a Pisces uh, sun sign. Cool. Uh, a uh, a Virgo moon and a Capricorn ascending. Hmm. And I was born on a full moon. Wow. In Milwaukee, Wisconsin in 1970. Tonight, today is a full moon. Ah. Uh, my wife is an astrologer, uh, mm. an astrologist, uh, and a very good one. Uh, uh, AquariusRisingAstrology.com. And oh. actually right. has been very, well, has been very influential in the last oh. 20 years to me personally, discovering my highest good and also really practical things with business, like when to present a contract and when not to, because <laughs> there's certain times where shit's really slow and other times where people are more decisive and huh. want to act. Um, but yeah. Well, that's fascinating. That's, <laughs> I, I, you know, that's um, definitely one of the most unique uh, who am I's. Uh, I, I like uh, sort of all the, the categorizing and, and labeling there in, in in the different ways. So, it, how did you grow up? It, it was is that have you always sort of been that way? Uh, what were you? Where are you from? Yeah. So yeah, I was born and raised in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, kind of middle class suburb. Um, fortunately, the Milwaukee public school system back in the seventies and eighties offered art classes. Hmm. Uh, you know, had an art studio and had art classes the whole way. I took as many as I could. I took everything everyone ever offered the whole time. When I was in grade school, it was because I just loved it. And then in middle school, it was because it was kind of easy and I could get a good grade. And then in high school, I was a, a, a highly competitive soccer player. Mm-hmm. And I made this correlation between um, days that I would be immersed in fine arts. I'd have my best games that night. Really? And so I was, it was, so it was more of like this, um, like art was like a means to like be a better soccer player. It was weird. <laughs> but, uh, and then I, uh, uh, 
Yeah, growing up, uh, you know, 70s, 80s, you know, off on our own, not a lot of parent oversight, um, you know, loving parents, uh, unconditional love, but, you know, we just kind of leave for the day and come back at dark. And um, I never thought about architecture. I mean, in a, in, a, in a formal way, I didn't know any architects. I had no, nothing like that in my life. Very you know, mediocre suburban homes and horrible schools with no daylighting and stinky. And, mm. um, but, uh, when I do think about childhood, even gosh, even through high school, we were always making stuff mm. out in the woods and making forts. And in the winter we had lots of snow and my brother and I had a, uh, a, sh- a snow shoveling uh, business and we would make big piles of snow and make forts. And during the summer we would, Mm, borrow uh, scraps from construction sites and uh, make forts up in trees in the woods. So we were we were building stuff uh, very primitively and out of just kind of what was there. Um, were you, were you around? Uh, were you around artists? You know, were your your parents into art or in like construction field or anything? They were not. Uh, well, my they were not. They were not. But my mom put an emphasis on exposing us to the arts hmm. always. So, like, the big Christmas present would be to go to Chicago and see a Broadway play, hmm. or to go to the art museum and see Monet when it was coming through town. Or and she's continued doing that. She is in her well she just turned 80 and she continues to find new museums and frequent all of her favorite ones and you know be a part of that and be really active uh in that um yeah the only architect i knew is mike brady from the brady bunch oh yeah i was i was trying to like i was trying to scan like my architectural history and and uh place place the name but uh yeah, yeah. i got it uh, no well that's that's not that that was just being funny. Right, right, right. Uh, I would say that uh, certainly Frank Lloyd Wright was an ongoing yeah. presence. You were um, you were in yeah Frank Lloyd Wright country. Yeah, I one of my good friends in like second, third, fourth grade was uh, lived in a Usonian house, mm. and I remember I loved it. I remember playing with Star Wars figures and these big windows mm. that went all the way down to the ground and wood and glass and. Yeah, I do. I can see it now. I can see hmm. the light and the shadows and the the contrast. Um, would you Would you get into it, like Chicago much and you know see? Yeah, yeah, because that's not that far, right? Um, yeah, about an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that would be like kind of special trips to the Field House or hmm. uh, uh, yeah. I, I think of plays. I think of fashion. Um, but yeah, I would say the fine arts was definitely had my attention and I just loved to do it. And I just kind of did it on my own through school. I put in tons of time. I'd stay up really late at night just Mm. because I would get energy from it. It's like, I couldn't put it down feeling. Yeah. Um, just couldn't like, I would rather be tired the next day and finish it than, stop because I probably wouldn't sleep anyways. I'd just be thinking about it the whole time. Um, but then, yeah, so that was Milwaukee. And then uh, I was fortunate and worked hard with soccer and got a scholarship out to uh, UC Berkeley. Um, wow. 
played on their division one soccer team, was their captain, wow. won a national championship freshman year. You must have been doing um, a lot of art there to be that good. To, to uh, really- yeah. <laughs> I was doing a lot of art there. I, I, I majored in, I actually had some roommates that were in architecture and landscape mm. and I felt sorry for them because they were like, never around. Mm-hmm. They're always pale and hungry and over caffeinated. And I was, I, I didn't take my academic super seriously in undergrad. I, I, I got the, I got a lot out of it in retrospect, but I was not like, certainly not going for high grades with more experiences. And, um, but I, I, uh, I did a dual degree. I kind of made up one of them. It was, um, it was in the school of conservation and resource studies, Hmm. but I had this really awesome advisor, um, John, uh, Hurst who, uh, mm... Hey, this episode is brought to you in part by signature doors and windows and modern Denver magazine. Now onto the show. Established the Knowles outdoor, uh, Hmm. school program. Hmm. Uh, and he kind of let me make my own syllabi and program. And it was, I ended up studying energy flow in communities. Hmm. So God, I took a, a forestry classes, urban agriculture classes, uh, environmental biologies, environmental chemistry. I took social science. I, I took environmental law classes, which were very hmm. difficult, but really awesome. And then I did a minor in fine arts. And so I was able to, they had a great lab. I was able to sculpture. I, I, I touched almost everything. Hmm. Uh, wow. Particularly at Berkeley, I, I touched everything. Welding, wood, ceramics, oil painting, acrylic, watercolor, color <laughs> theory, art history. And Bay Area is kind of awesome for seeing things too, yeah. right? It was kind of it was kind of the beginning of West Coast street art was happening then, so I was you know observing and participating in that, and um, very robust multidisciplinary education in undergrad. Yeah. Um, and, and so when you but talk, also some yeah. pretty tough some pretty tough years too. Hmm. Like my freshman year was the earthquake of '89, hmm. and the Bay Bridge fell down. But our dorm was condemned. It was wow. pretty big deal. Sophomore year, the Oakland Hills burned down, and the fire came right to our house, and we were like firefighting, and the soles of our shoes were melting off, and it was Whoa. just and it smelled like burnt eucalyptus for the rest of my hmm. my, uh, my time there. And then junior year, well, we'll skip that. Senior year was the Rodney King riots. So we had a curfew of 6 p.m. for two months and cop cars were flipped over and burning and any sort of uh, mass consumer capitalist sort of enterprise had their windows broken and were pillaged. and, And at the end of it, uh, I bailed to the mountains of Colorado. It's huh. just like, oh, yeah. Well, that well, that idea of <laughs> what do know, I do with all this information? <laughs> you gotta get out of here. Yeah, but but I but that idea of like a community community energy flow. I mean, so you're you're talking you're talking like uh, environmental forces, uh, uh, economic forces, uh, social force. Like 
in, in encapsulating all yes. of that and yeah, especially with those three years that, of- but, but particularly fossil fuel usage oh, okay and what i learned in 1990 and i didn't know what to do with it until i started trace birds <laughs> or really until i went back to get my master's degree when i was 30 i didn't know what to do with this information but i learned that you know as americans we're using more energy than anyone else in the world like right. tenfold yeah and our buildings are responsible for about 50% of fossil fuel usage mm. in the creation of them and the operations. So the overall embodied energy of, of how, we're, how we're habita- habitating and working and entertaining ourselves is going to kill us. Yeah. And mm. it, I didn't know what to do with it. I taught for a while. I taught environmental sciences at Berkeley High, and then in, I moved to Crested Butte, Colorado, hmm. and was part of starting a little ski racing academy. I was um, taught uh, environmental sciences and soccer coach, snowboard coach, <laughs> van maintenance guy, lunch cook, and yeah, just generally <laughs> rallier. <laughs> You're like, I need um, to pick up a few more skills here. Yeah, I didn't, yeah, I didn't yeah. do enough of things at Berkeley, and. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and and it was it was just uh you were brought to Colorado for sort of that job or you were like no that's no, this is where I need I, to be. I I grew up skateboarding too. Like mm. I started playing soccer when I was like 5, but I started skateboarding when I was like 3 or 4 in the 70s. Mm. These little thin, you know, little sidewalk surfers. And I just kept going and progressing with that and I think I was 13. Um, my friends and I were building a skate ramp with, um, uh, you know, woodworking and, you know, carpentry, right? And we had no idea what we were doing. But uh, uh, there was um, um, like construction documents in a Thrasher magazine. It was like the centerfold and it hmm. showed how to make like a proper, like little mini half pipe. Hmm. And on the back, uh, and we had this, and we used it all summer. On the back of it was this little ad, and it had Jake Burton, like, on a snowboard making a big turn. And it said, like, Burton Snowboards. And I was like, what is that? <laughs> like, I live in this snowy place where I can't skateboard for six months, five, six months out of the year. What is that? So, actually, my parents got me one for Christmas. And so, I was like, it was their first model. And then I got super into snowboarding. I loved it. Like, I'm surprised I didn't drop out of Berkeley and just become a snowboarder. I was so, all I wanted to do is do that. Like, I just wanted to like do that as much as possible and be in powder and look for things and explore and mountaineer. And that's really, that's really like towards the end of my, and, and my friend group were all interested in climbing and mountaineering and just adventuring and getting to places no one else could get to. And so I would, you know, and then some spring breaks, we came out to Colorado and experienced some of that. And so I, 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 I moved to, I, I moved to Colorado for snowboarding basically. seems like when you get into things, you really get into things. You, you, I, I do. You go full. Yeah. I so, like it. So I so like going down the rabbit hole of like, well, not only how good you can get at mm. it, but it's also like even like the gear and like tweaking the gear mm. to make it work better for like the style I want mm. as opposed to like just the standard issue, like standard issue skateboard. Well, what if we like 
what if we take those trucks and like get rid of the risers and put them a little further apart? Mm. Well, oh, you can ollie easier. Like, mm. I just like, I like tweaking with things that then you can have first person experience, like using them and go, mm. oh, wow, that like sucks or that like made it way better. Or it's like different, like you can turn it better, but it can't jump as good. Like, I just yeah. like that stuff. So that's part Des- of it. So it's kind thinking, of an engineering, yeah. Yeah. kind of an athletic, kind of a flow flow sport combo that makes it interesting to yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah. And and so so you're living your dream there for a little bit. And then what what makes you go back to school then? Uh I realized I was never gonna make it down there. I wasn't independently wealthy. Mm-hmm. I, I I had to make my own self. I came there with no money and it was a real it was struggle just to like find somewhere to live and just sort of survive. And I quickly realized that like a lot of the people I was hanging out with that were like going to Alaska in the spring and doing peaks and all this stuff, like their day jobs weren't paying for that, you know? So I was like, okay, I've got, I've got to make myself. Um, And I, while I was there teaching, I was also building houses because it was Hmm. a a high paid job for someone that was physically able and smart enough and decent with math. And I was noticing as I was building these houses that I was was like, did did anyone like look at the situation here? Like this window, like there's this killer view right here. And this window is like four feet slid over looking at the neighbor's garage. Did anyone come down here and like assess the situation. I just, I just started getting curious about it. And um, we reclaimed some of the alley sheds down in Crested Butte and made them into kind of squatter houses and sort of skid, Hmm. skid houses and working on the old buildings and trying to keep them like vintage because we had to, because they're historic, but then make them well enough insulated and heated enough. And, you know, um, I really enjoyed it. Like it was kind of like artwork. You had to figure it out each day and kind of go with the flow. Like you'd have a plan, but because it's existing building, you can't have too rigid of a plan mm. because things are going to be exposed along the way. And you just got to make the most of it out of every opportunity. And, and so I really enjoyed that. And then, you know, it was a little bit of desperation too. Cause I was like, okay, I have no money. I, my my undergrad i don't know what job that gets me um and uh and so i started some inquiry i came up to denver a few times um it's funny i watched your ej mead show your last one which is really enjoyable um because he was one of the first people i met oh really yeah he was a studio professor I, i i went to I, I looked into the, to the CU program in Denver and uh, I, I came up from Crestview just to visit. They were doing studio, mm-hmm. uh, uh, final studio reviews. I'd never seen anything like that before. I went to it. He was super cool. He invited me to like a party at his new firm's um, office that night. I went to it. I remember his, his daughter was a little girl with these beautiful eyes and uh, just, you know, just very, um, uh, everyone was cool. Um, and then that same trip, um, I remember going to the Patagonia store to like return a just butcher jacket that I totally overuse because they'd give you free ones. Yeah. And, uh, Jim Logan had designed their new store, uh, not the newest, newest one, but the one before on 
oh gosh, was that 15th? Yeah, 15th. Or, um, yeah. And he was actually given a presentation that night about <laughs> design and non-toxic building construction, huh. um, which I was super interested in. And I remember meeting him that night. And so that was a kind of cool trip. And I ended up working for Jim Logan. That was my first job. Um, yeah, that, that was a good trip, right? I mean, yeah, stars I mean, two aligned. years was, later. Was, yeah, it was a full moon and everything. And yeah, it all aligned. Could have been. Could have been. I yeah. didn't pay as much attention. That was pre pre uh uh, astrologist, uh, pre, pre wife who, yeah. who, who she, she's the one who told me that I was born on a full moon because hmm. she did her research, right? They, she does five hours of research, right? She takes your, your, your birth date, your birth time, your birth location. Huh. And then there's a whole array of what's going, what went on at that moment. Huh. And so she, she told me at the full moon and she gave me one of the best advices I've had in my life. And that was that the way my, who I am, full moons are very creative moments for me. Hmm. And I need to um, always make time for that. Hmm. Like that, like the two days before, the two days after, like that time, like, and I still do it. I did it today. I mean, that meeting with my staff is a creative endeavor. Like, what do we want to be as a creative endeavor? Painting's a creative endeavor. Drawing a beautiful facade is a creative endeavor, but also like being a businessman and an entrepreneur now, like it also like, yeah. what do we want to be and, a leader. and what's yeah. the opportunity and what could we be? And like thinking outside of what we are. Um, but that was like incredible advice that I've really stuck hmm. to. Like I put it in my phone, like the full moon on this day, do not put like financial meetings during mm-hmm. those days. Yeah. Do not put things that are like swing me in some like thought pattern that I don't want, like, don't meet with the lawyers on those days. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so anyway, so you had that great day. You decided to go to see you. You get there, you're, you're driven. You've been building stuff. You've yeah. done a bunch of undergrad. You get in. And I that. didn't get in. I didn't, didn't get, get in. in. No, no, I didn't get in. No. What, what, what happened there? <laughs> I don't know. You, you just you just re- refused to leave, I, and no one questioned you. And uh, no, oh no, I applied. I applied. I got a little letter back. I moved to Denver. You know, the uh, seven months before school was going to start. I got a framing job. It was horrible. I actually hurt my back. I fell off the house. It was it was Oof. not great. It's a horrible place to live. Um, didn't get in. Uh, met with Peter Schneider, who was the dean at the point, at that point, made an appointment with him. Like, listen, what, like, I didn't get in. What's the deal? You know, like, I'm going to be great, you know? And, um, he was very candid. He, <laughs> maybe I shouldn't say this, but he said, you know, um, the reality is, yeah, your portfolio, you know, you've had some good education. Uh, but, uh, and, and you may be appropriate here, but we're going to wait to see how many, uh, out of country, <laughs> um, students, uh, apply first. Huh. Um, and then we'll see if there's room for you. Huh. And there ended up being room about two weeks before the school season, uh, wow. before school started. So I, uh, I made it, I made the cut. <laughs> so, so, so you get in there and it yeah. seems like, like everything you've been doing, right. Your, your, your creative, uh, like your design thinking, your, kind of social and energy uh, thinking and studies and construction, like it all merges into architecture, right? And in, in the studio. It did. And so 
did you get in there and this, you were like, oh, this is exactly the, the sandbox that I needed? Or was it like, wow, this is uh, not what I expected and, and, and blown my mind a bit? Um, it blew my mind. It's not what I expected. But like after that, like particularly studio that first semester, I'm like, I'm pretty good at this. <laughs> like I knew like I just kind of looking around and like, uh, like talking about composition and datums mm. and light and shadow. I was like, yeah, that's how I see the world. That's how I think all the time. I to everything you're saying makes total sense to me. And then the art background. Hey, we're happy to be sponsored by Modern in Denver Magazine. For over a decade, they've been crafting fantastically curated content on Colorado designers and projects, spreading the gospel of good design within our region. And I love how the goal of Modern in Denver aligns with the goal of this podcast, to better build up and connect the community of Colorado designers. So go buy a copy of the magazine at your local bookstand, subscribe to their weekly email list, and follow them on Instagram. Check it out. is so key. Yeah. Like it just, it's such Half a foundation yeah. for all of it. The history, because the history of architecture and the history of art paralleled one another. Art came first, architecture followed, mm -hmm. right? We got like, it's like artists lead and then maybe like music and fashion follow behind a little bit. And then architecture used to be like 20 to 50 years behind. Now it's probably like five years behind yeah. or, or a month behind. Yeah. But like, you know, there used to be that sort of mm, time lapse mm -hmm. between the disciplines. Um, so Cl cloth and paint like are a little bit cheaper and faster than I beams little and faster. wood and concrete. And, right. yeah. Or making a song, like yeah. making a lick and having a good, good lyric that everyone resonates with. It's yeah. Like, there you go. <laughs> Done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so nice. So, so it was, it was, uh, yeah, what you, what you expected or, or, and it was, it was kind of down your path and helping you set, set that up. Uh, what, uh, what or who was, was influential throughout that time for you? Uh, Everyone, the fellow students, the professors, the, all the authors, the books we read, <laughs> the art, you know, the architecture history, but, uh, I'd say particularly Barbara Ambach was my first studio professor, Actually, Sean Mather, who's just over there. We were in the same studio together. Huh. I stole him from some big firm when I had a big project about 16 years ago, nice. uh, which was nice. Um, but yeah, Barbara's studio was awesome. Mm -hmm. We hand drew everything, models, just the whole works. And I just loved it. I would just, I would go so hard on the models and be, I would spend way too much money. I did, you know, just like, it's got, I've got to use these three different woods and, just the whole thing. Um, Keith Lofton uh, uh, was amazing with the history and some of the, well, I took a lot of classes with him and he was my advisor. I, I, I wrote a thesis and that was incredibly important. Hmm. The thesis was in, so important. I mean, it is what I'm doing every day is that thesis started, was the seed of, hmm. of all this really. Um, Julie Hurt for just uh, yeah. exploring things and I was already really interested in like making something out of nothing um, I've always loved 
hip hop and rap and like just that make something out of nothing. You mm -hmm. don't need instruments. You don't need, you just need a good idea and some rhythm. And, um, and so she was, she, oh, she just, that's what she was all about. All of the studios I took with her and, and other things we did together. Um, I, yeah, I like, I like that idea. I, I never did a thesis. It was always sort of just like independent studios kind of, cobble together but uh talking i was talking to mark swackhammer on here and he was saying like yeah. any any good uh thesis is something that haunts you or challenges you the rest of your career right it's like this open-ended yeah. challenge and so what what was that for you what what was that what thesis? was it yeah and what <laughs> yeah. what is it still what has evolved into yeah um how much time do we have <laughs> you, you, you know we, we could just Keep on going. Paint, okay. paint me a picture here. I'll paint you a picture. Yeah. So I, um, well, I, I, I kind of have to give the lo the long story to make, have make any sense, but okay. So moved to Denver, got into school, you know, I, I, um, in school, well, I, I started school and I, I only had the first semester where all I did was school. And I actually got this job with Jim Logan hmm. after my first semester. And I worked for him, I think, 30 hours a week for the rest of the first... Because I did a three-year program. So I had unrelated undergrad. And then I worked for him like 30 hours a week my wow. second year. And then full-time my third year. And I was like project managing like legitimate projects. It was That's awesome. crazy. But it was a lot. Yeah. Like I didn't... You know, it was like six hours of sleep and like... But anyways, um, I, after that first semester, a drunk driver hit me head on at like 10 in the morning oh, with all my whole semester's worth of models <laughs> and my friend, Janie Chivet, all of her work was in the back of my no. little Subaru. These cowboys hit me head on on, oh. on, on 58th street. And I really hurt myself. Like, uh, um, I just really airbags, jaw of life. I had, you know, oh, man. I didn't have broken bones, but just like all my ligaments, like the next day I couldn't move kind of thing. And so just, uh, and, and unfortunately I didn't have health insurance <laughs> at the time. Um, so I had, I, um, there was a yoga studio proximal to where I lived and I started doing yoga like all the time to try to get out of this injury state. And fortunately I just got kind of lucky. This yoga studio happened to be uh, the yoga studio of a gentleman named Richard Freeman, who's a master, um, hmm. spent 20, 20 years in India, um, as a Sufi and came back to the United States to like teach us fat, ugly Americans yoga, hmm. you know, but he uh, he very much knew the doctrines and the literature. And so on Sunday nights, he'd give talks for two hours and yada, yada. So I, I started really studying uh, uh, that thought. Uh, and I maybe for the first time in my life, I would get these moments of like total clarity. Hmm. It wasn't prolonged. We're talking seconds at times. Huh. Maybe minutes, maybe afternoons in the backcountry skiing or something like mm. this, like this, this, like just clarity. But in, in like um, really different, like you, you, it really felt like re a different distinctly different than yeah. anything I had ever experienced before. Huh. Maybe I think I'd experienced a couple times in soccer games, yeah. like the balls coming and like 
like I'm going to it and like head it and watch it go in the back of the mm. net, you know, it's all silent and it, yeah. everything slows down hmm. and all of my senses are like hyper awakened. Hmm. Like I'd had it a few times, but the, I think the yoga and the literature, I was like, I was getting it more often. Hmm. And so I was very interested in that. <laughs> and that's while I was in school. And then I was also very extremely interested in when I was in school, mobile phones, the use of computers, sort of digital, everything was really coming on board. I mean, this is, you know, I was getting my master's degree in 1997, okay. eight, nine. Yeah. So it was all, that was all coming on board. Like yeah. the first AutoCAD classes were being taught, whatever. And I was noticing that those devices were removing us from direct experiences with nature. I was mm. just seeing it in my day-to-day -day life. I was experiencing it firsthand. I was seeing it with other people. I was seeing it in the city. And so I was very interested because I had had this privilege of being in wilderness, climbing, skiing, living in wilderness at times in my life of... Um, how important that is and having a connection to natural systems, how important that is to just well-being and just general health and happiness hmm. and good ideas. I always get my best. I mean, still to this day, I get my best ideas going on a hike or skiing. Like I figure all the shit during the week and then it's all business. And then like, I'll be out somewhere and like things will start making sense. And so I always carry a little notebook and a pencil that has tons of lead and like I can always use and like, get, so I can come back to the office and be like, Hey, don't forget about this. This is really mm -hmm. important. Um, so I was really interested in that. Like, can, how do we reconnect with nature? Cause I felt like everyone was getting further and further away from it. And, and then I totally randomly saw some images of this building in Switzerland, the thermal baths and mm. falls by Peter Zumthor. Mm -hmm. And I just on a whim was like, I think he's doing what I'm thinking about. Mm. Hmm. And I don't know. And I had, it was just intuition. I had no idea. So back to the thesis. So uh, Keith Lofton, uh, we came up with a reading list of about 50 books. I spent the full year. And he had me, the program was every single day, except for Sundays, I'd wake up at five, I'd read for an hour, and I'd write for an hour. Huh. And the writing uh, was a response to the reading, but it didn't have to be like, I wasn't directed towards the thesis. It didn't have like a purpose to like try to prove something or continue the thought from the day before. It was like free writing and huh. I would handwrite. It wasn't on a computer. You know, I kept these journals, did that for a full year. I had 18 journals full. Wow. 50 and this books. was like your, this was your second year? This school? is third year. Third, third yeah, year. I did the thesis during the third year. Yeah. Um, and, and, and during that process, yeah, um, about halfway through it, I, I I don't know who suggested it. it might have been Keith, it might have been me. I was like, I think I should go visit Peter Zumthor and see see, see his mm. buildings and interview him. Mm -hmm. 
And I have no idea how I contacted him. I still actually have the book that I brought that's got his phone number written in it. I, this is, this is, I mean, you still can't contact him. He doesn't have a fucking website, right? Yeah. So like, I don't know how I contacted him, he, but he anyways. He could sense the, the kindred spirit he, in that letter, guess, that handwritten know. letter. and yeah. Something. It was probably something like that. Well, um, I went there to Chur, Switzerland. I, I, I started it by I interviewed him hmm. uh, and I taped it. It was a three-hour interview um, in his studio, which was so awesome. Wow. <laughs> like the whole experience. It's in this medieval town. It's next to a graveyard. It's kind of tight. Um, house is proximal and it's this very simple building and you open the front door and there's this very heavy black leather curtain that you have to push your way through. Um, and he greeted me and we went into his parlor where he had a humidor that was built into the wall. And so he pulled out this fresh cigar and started it. And the interview went till he was done. And that was about three hours. He'd like, he'd smoke it and then let it sit and relight it. And it was just kind of this thing. <laughs> um, but I interviewed him twice. So I, I did that on the first. And then I went to seven, uh, the only seven um, uh, buildings that he completed. So mm. I went to the thermal baths. I went to the Kuntz house. Mm. Um, I went to, uh, he did these two homes. Uh, I went to this home for senior citizens that was built in 93. I went to the St. Benedict Chapel. I went to the um, Roman excavation. Yeah. Um, so I went to all these and, and, and I knew enough from my thesis development that what was going on, what I, if we can get the if we can get the intellect out of things and just experience things with all your senses, you connect quickest with nature, and nature can like respond to you. When you get the intellect out, by by reading fifty books, you figured to get the intellect out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Had to, had to through. Yeah. So so man. So then, what was the? So then you came back after that trip. I mean, it, like back to Zoomther and had yeah. another discussion. And, and how did those two, two differ, you know, those two discussions? And, well, and... after I saw the buildings, I saw, I, I, um, I made this other, I, which I never would have known through a magazine picture, right. That, you know, being at the thermal baths, you know, I spent four days in that valley and it's this oh, incredible nice. Alpine Valley. Have you, have you been there? Yeah, I've, I've been to the best for one day, okay. yeah, like the best best day of my life yeah right so Correct. i spent 40s are but i also hiked and i totally explored it was in it was like end of october mm. when the when the thermal waters are flowing and you know when i put the connection you know i went to the thermal baths right away like you gotta see this thing like check it out and he's got you naked and he's like he's got your senses just like in every way he could get your senses yeah but then it was these subtler things like laying on those lounge chairs and that composed music that was very eerie and odd, but it wasn't after a couple, until a couple days that I realized, oh my God, someone made a symphony out of all the noises from the town. 
Hmm. Like the chains on the sheep's necks. The bell that goes to let the shepherds know it's time to let the sheep out. The wagon that carries the hay. Like he hired a composer, a German composer, to take all those sounds and make an ambient symphony that when you're laying in that lounge, looking out that little portal at the other hillside and you're seeing the shepherd smoking his pipe with his sheep, you're getting that, you know, or subtle things like, you know, uh, you know, obviously the building's made out of all this blue stone. Well, I'm hiking and I'm realizing, huh, all the little markers for the trails, like they don't have signs like in Boulder, right. That say Mm -hmm. Chautauqua this way, (laughs) like, it's a little marker and it's got a letter or a number and it means something that all those markers were also that blue stone. Hmm. And then one random morning where I did like a really, like I rented a bike and I went way down Valley and I ended up at this mine that, holy shit, this is the mine where you got all the rock from. Cause there's still pieces that were cut that were leftovers from building the, the house here at the end. So this whole like idea of regionalism. Yeah. Like in that, that's what I'm doing with all of our projects. Every yeah. single one of them. It's I'm only using, I'm trying to as much as possible. It's materials from as close to that site as possible. Cause there's a spirit to them. There's a, there's materials are animate. They're mm. alive. These aren't dead things. Mm. They have, they have spirit and people feel that when you're done, if you use them right. Yeah. And so it's like this regionalism in all these different audio through the symphony visual through the color of the rock, the texture of the rock, the feel of it and how it snaps and what, when you snap that rock, what pattern does it create when you snap that rock? Every rock, when you snap it naturally creates a different pattern, Mm. has different texture. What does that rock do? And so that was really the second interview was really tapping into that regionalism and how he's practicing that. And how he goes about that. Cause I knew he was gonna go, I knew he was gonna go big. Cause I saw these buildings. I'm like, these are the best buildings I've ever been in in my life. And if he wants to, I'm sure he can do these anywhere he chooses. Yeah. How is he gonna apply that to not just his little valley? Cause at that time, he had not worked outside of Switzerland. Right. Well, yeah, right. Austria, Bregenz was Austria, but like hmm. everything was within, within like, a hundred mi- uh, like 200 kilometers from his office, every single building. Um, so yeah, the thesis was very important. So, so then <laughs> yeah. what, what came out of that? Did, did a building design come out of that or it was more no. of the thought, the thought process? I, and- yeah, it was like a 50 page, uh, paper. And I, so when I would visit his buildings, I would, um, that night, um, write about my experience and I would write about all the senses, mm. all my senses that were engaged mm. and how, and I would just write about even thoughts that I had while I was there. It was very abstract, very mm. loose, very journal, very like a couple of glasses of wine sort of writing. Yeah. And then the thesis, I, all those writings that I did from the 50 books from the year of an hour of writing every morning and the writings I did about the firsthand experience, I brought those all together. And that's where Keith was super helpful because he, he had, you know, we had all this information, like how do we organize this and create a structure to yeah. it? 
And so basically it was like, I would, it was like a couple pages of firsthand experience. And then it was like the readings that like support that and like that support that. Hmm. And, hmm. and, and I was really looking for like, how do I carry this on as a practitioner of yeah. this discipline of architecture? How do I, how do I, how do I apply this to everything I get involved in? Whether it's a, a sculpture that I'm commissioned to do or an apartment building or an art museum or a remodel of someone's, you know, kitchen, like whatever, you know, how, how do, how do I apply all this? And that's really what that was about. Man. Yeah. You, you don't do anything easy. You, you, you really do dive in. So you, so you you, you graduate and you have this huge backpack of experiences and yeah. interests and, uh, self drivenness. Like, could, could any firm satisfy that for you? Did you start no. Trace Birds right away? Is that what happened? I did. The yeah. day I, the day I handed in my thesis, I fucking started Trace Birds. <laughs> Literally. Literally. I got a, I, I got a call from a friend, uh, who was a ski partner of mine that we were doing a lot of mountaineering stuff with. And he said, Hey, my, my good friend Brooks is, is this hot photographer in Boulder right now. He's shooting for Audi and shooting for Specialized and all this. And he just bought a lot in Boulder County and he wants to do a studio. And I, you know, I recommended you, you know, would you be able to do that? And I was like, yep. <laughs> this is probably a stupid question from talking to you, but like, was there any fear there of, of starting the oh, firm yeah. and like um, of doing that? I doubt it, but it, I mean, um, it had to be. Yeah, this is this is July of 2000, hmm. uh, and I had worked for for Jim Logan for three years, but taken on a lot, taken on a lot, project hmm. managed, decent sized projects, um, brought AutoCAD into his office, really had a good understanding of process, and um, you know my building background was helpful. Um, I, it's almost like I, to some extent, I didn't know enough to be too scared. I didn't know enough about running a business to be scared. Yeah. Like if, you know, it's one of those things, like if I would have known then what I know now, would I have done it? I'm not sure if I would have. Yeah. Um, no, no regrets. I'm right. I'm, uh, I feel blessed that we can have this conversation and that, we have the projects that we're working on right now and the projects we've completed and, and, and I have this incredible staff. I mean, that's, I'll talk about the staff thing in a moment because I think that's very um, pertinent to this conversation. But when I, so I took on this photography studio, I, I, I let Jim know that I was, I was going out on my own and, and uh, you know, he, he was somewhat supportive um, and you said, can, can you maybe stamp some stuff for me sometimes? And, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I didn't. But uh, uh, th- this photography studio, we came up, Brooks and I came up with a good idea early on. And I made this physical model of it. And I, I knew what we wanted to do. And it was all about daylighting. It was all about, you know, he said he'd never had a building where he could like, shoot portraits and stuff inside. He always mm. needs lots of artificial lighting. It's sort of this artificial lighting game, 
even though he was an on-site location photographer, he would do things out in the out in, out in the wild. But then he'd come back to the studio to shoot product and details and things like that, hmm. and also just to be his office and and, and to. To, to be a bit of an entertaining spot and also like where everyone would meet before they'd go out to the shoot, you know, the, 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 the um, entourage and the product and the owners of the company, you know, they'd all meet at the, you know, the intention was they meet at the studio, they go out and shoot and then they end up at the studio and drink beers and yeah. smoke weed and have a good time, you know, nice. whatever. Uh, and so we came up, we came up with an idea. It was good. I modeled it, you know, um, and during that process, um uh it just became evident to me i'm like i should build this too like this the, mm. it, it's unusual enough that i had i just had an intuition that if he went out to a, a regular general contractor that it's going to be way too expensive and i just really believed in it and i wanted to make sure it happened so i committed i'm like all right i'll be the general contractor i got my general contractor's license um, and literally Brooks, myself, um, and, and one of his really good friends, Pat built the whole thing. We hmm. had, we had a handful of subs through, um, but hardly any. And, um, what's that project called? Is it it's on called Free Hill Studio. Free Hill Studio. Hmm. Yeah. Um, it's like three mass concrete walls. And we made a timber frame south wall out of reclaimed four by 12 timbers that came out of a building in Denver. So anyways, I committed to building it and then started pricing things and realized right away that we were way over budget. So then we were like, okay, what else, what can we do here? And so um, Brooks was pretty savvy at this also and, and taught me quite a bit. But like very early on, we were like, we were... <laughs> I was, we were, I was riding my bike in Longmont, Pat, you know, uh, just on a bike ride. And there's a bowling alley lane, uh, facility that was closed and it was being demolished. The building was being demolished. Hmm. And I was like, Oh, I wonder if they're selling any of the bowling shoes. Those used to be cool. Like <laughs> bowling shoes are cool. I wonder if there's like bowling shoes in there. So I went, I like put my bike, went inside. And there's like 15 dudes taking apart the bowling alley lanes. Like they're, they're made of lamp strip. They're laminated, right? Two inch, two and a half inch thick, one inch, you know, uh, broadleaf pine. You know? Huh. And they're taking these things apart like this and, you know, 18 of these lanes and they're 60 feet long. And I was like, I speak Spanish. I was like, you know, case you know, el jefe de la trabajos, you know, este site. And we're talking. And I talked to the boss and he's like, yeah, we, you know, we're, we're just going to those, we're just going to, um, landfill that wood and take it to the dump. And I was like, could you stop? <laughs> and could I buy these lanes from you? Huh. And he's like, you're going to buy them from us. And I was like, yeah. And, and we negotiated some very low number and I said, okay, I looked around. I'm like, so you're de demolishing this whole building, right? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, well, are you going to take the roof off first? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, well, let me know when the roof's off and I'm going to get the lane. So let me know when the roof's, I rented a crane for the day. I grabbed all, I picked them all. They're in 24 foot sections, put them on the back of my truck. 
And we built a lot of the studio out of bowling alley lanes. Huh. Um, I just recently built an ADU at my house out of bowling lanes too. I bought them, I think six times now we've bought <sighs> every lane out of defunct bowling alley lane place. <sighs> but we got, I got in that mentality right away with the first trace birds. It was like, okay, what are the materials? Not just like zoom Thor with like, a mine of blue stone. Yeah. But like, what are these things in our American consumer environment that are just there in our communities? Like what's there? Well, there's these bowling alley lanes, there's buildings coming down with timbers that most people, most demo people are just knocking the building down as quickly as possible and putting in a landfill. Hmm. Well, what if when you take the roof off, what if you give my crew seven days and we'll take it all apart, take it, pay you for the wood you know, and so we just got in that mentality and we built the photography studio primarily out of reclaimed materials, hmm. the timber frame, all the furniture, the doors, this curved wall. Hmm. Um, wow. um, and so I got, so that was, it was kind of luck, kind of me going, that was uncomfortable. Building it was very uncomfortable because I had never been a general contractor. I'd been yeah. a framer before, but I'd never been like responsible for the money of the whole thing, responsible for the inspections, responsible to all the authorities in charge. Like that was, that was intense, uh, very intense and very uncomfortable for me because I didn't want to fail. Yeah. Certainly. Um, and and you weren't doing was, things you know, in a typical you way. You asked right? like, what's yeah. uncomfortable or like, that was a moment where it was like, I had a, I had to tap into all my strengths, you know, just to, you know, stay healthy, eat well, mentally be strong, physically be strong. Cause I was building almost all of it physically myself. Um, 24 foot panels. Yeah. Yeah. Use my math skills, be, you know, be honest, you know, be very transparent with, Hey, we thought it was going to be this, but it's this inspector. What do we need to do to, you know, mm. you know and, and, uh, be a good communicator and be fair, um, and, and learn how to work with a client, you know, uh, and, and Brooks is certainly an artist. So it was like my first client was an artist and I've, I've kind of bit, we've kind of been on that role. Most of our clients are artists in some form mm, or of, yeah. of another, or like heavy arts appreciators have been our client base this whole time, really. Um, and so, yeah, it was kind of luck and opportunity that Tracebird started off as a design build company. And then we did, I just kept going that way. I mean, we've, out of the hundred projects we've completed in the last 22 years, all but like 10 of them we built. Wow. And we're the general contractor. We self-perform a lot of it. You know, I'm in our shop right now. We have a 8,000 square foot facility in Denver with mm. full shop. I still collect reclaimed materials. I have seven tons of artisan tile, we have <laughs> bowling alley lanes over there, you know, timbers. Um, you know, we, we've really stayed on that path and it's interesting how well we, we stayed on that path of being the design builder like the full service architect but full service design builder where the person that the client's building or designing the project with also becomes the person building the project literally like still yeah like i'm involved in all design of all projects but my project manager is there from the first conversations in design and entitlements all the way through the build, they're the project manager. It's the same person. 
Hmm. And I don't, I don't know of another firm that does it that way. It's, it, 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 it attract, it both attracts and retains a very special type of employee. It's someone that's not afraid. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> very skilled, healthy, huh. um, motivated, confident, um, and wants to make the world a better place. And those people, I feel this is the biggest blessing in my life. They've all found me. Yeah. Like my 20 employees right now have pretty much all found me. And I think they're the best of the best. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, know what they go through and it is not an right. easy job. Right. Yeah. It's not an easy job at all. We are a hundred percent accountable. Something's wrong. Something doesn't work. We fix it and we figure it out. Mm-hmm. We don't, there's no, no pointing. <laughs> there's no, no contractor to point at. Yeah. Nothing. No, it is weird. A hundred percent accountable. Mm-hmm. And that takes a special person with a special stomach. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, because it seems like, you know, there's, and especially right in the last 20 years or whatever, like design build is like a, a big kind of buzzword and like more people trying to do it, but it, it does seem like it's uh I'm speaking very broadly, but you know, some firms do it and then sort of get pulled to the construction side of it, you know, where it's a little bit out of design. Um, right. and then some firms, you know, can't quite hack the, the GC part and kind of, kind of fail or, or go off. But it's interesting how, how you're able to keep, I mean, that real art side, right. And like real, uh, uh, environmental side and the con- con- and construction side and the architectures meet in the middle and, yeah, I mean, it like it, it kind of has to be those people, right? I mean, that's yeah to, to be able to navigate all those lanes and uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're in, we're an architect led design build firm. Mm, yeah, I think that's Al, key. yeah, <laughs> DB, um, and and even one step further, and it's getting more this way. We're an artist led design build firm. Mm. because we are getting some of these bigger commissions for art museums and things that are very art centric. And they're, they're wanting to work with an artist. They're wanting to work with kin that they understand the language of, and that we understand their language and what's important and that it's, um, it's not all function. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I think, you know, you know, typically in design build, it's a contractual arrangement, right? You've got a, general contractor and they, uh, you know, municipality wants a design build contract because they want to make sure that, that, that they can hit a number. And then the art, and then the GC hires an architecture firm as a contractual relationship, but there's really, it's really oil and water still. There's not a lot of mixing, right? It's just the contract binds the oil and water. We, we don't have that at all. It's the same people doing both. Um, and, it is, it is one of the biggest surprises I've had is that it, because, we're, because I set it up this way, I'm attracting some of the best talent. Yeah. And so and how- I was like a very happy surprise, right? <laughs> that that would be the result of a risk I took with a first project that just kind of kept going because it worked. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's all these other benefits to that format. Like we just experienced like, this the last couple of years, um, it got real topsy turvy with projects. Like a bunch of projects canceled at once, new ones came up, whatever. But I was able to keep all my staff and keep them 
you know, after salaries and secure because I had projects that were designed, build, and we always, I mean, there's, we have a ton of availability to build things. Like we, we sub out most everything, but like, if we want to pick cherry pick the things that we want to build, we can. So I just, you know, staff that was on the architecture project that just went away. Well, you're going to be, you're going to be building these timber walls at this other project yeah. and we keep you employed and everyone's happy about it and everyone here is stoked. So it, it makes us, it's like that diversity and what people can do makes us sort of resilient. Yeah. Um, and I've been through a few of these now, like the recession in 07, 08 was very impactful for us because I had one client then I was working for Jake Burton of Burton Snowboards and we were, we were doing yeah. showrooms flagship retail and rider houses all over the world. We were working in Tokyo, Moscow, Innsbruck, Austria, Los Angeles, New York, San Francisco, Chicago, Denver. We just did. I mean, we've continued working with them yeah, since yeah. our first project was in 05. And that was kind of a, that was kind of a game changer for us getting working with them and how that went. But all of a sudden that recession hit and all that work went away for a couple of years um, and it made me really look it, it, like we weren't diverse. We had one client, one thing we were doing. No one knew who Trace Birds was in Denver, certainly. A handful of people, my friends knew who we were in Boulder. And so we had nothing. I mean, we were just, there was no work. There was no, hmm. We had nothing. And, and, uh, and it was at that moment, I was like, you know what? I really want to be diverse. I want to take on diverse project types, diverse clients, diverse building types, diverse program. And I think in that diversity is strength. And that has proven to be true since. So how'd you go about that? What did you have some genius marketing strategy that uh, you implemented and uh, no marketing. pulled that out? And, yeah. I, I've done no marketing <laughs> other than I've had a website the whole time. Um, I have, uh, well, I've been very conscious of hiring good photographers to mm. capture our work um, because I made the mistake of not documenting any of my artwork mm. all the way from being a little kid all the way through college. I have no documentation of anything and I really wish I had it because I just, I just didn't, I just didn't know. Yeah. So I've been very conscious of hiring and, 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 uh, hiring good photographers. James Florio is, oh, yeah. has been our photographer for the last maybe seven years. And, um, and it, that's my marketing is to be able to show what we did. I mean, that, that our projects come to us because of word of mouth where someone experienced one of our buildings and they felt something and they asked who did this and they find us. That's it. And we have enough projects out there now where that can actually happen right. because we have a hundred projects that are out in the wild and people are eating in them or living in them or entertaining or, you know, doing, you know, viewing art in them or whatever. So that we're, we're able that, but very little marketing, um, proper marketing. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it, it, it just feels like you have that, that sense of yourself or at least a good differentiation and, uh, within your architecture. Um, so you, so you're, so you're, you're building up this firm, you have this thesis, uh, sure. What what project 
gets closest to that idea of thesis for you? Oh. You're not going to like this answer, but all Give of them. Give it to me. We oh, try God. our hardest on every single one. I, I really, I really do. I would say the first that comes to mind, all of them. Really. Um, I mean, the first that comes to mind is my own home, just because I like wake up there every day mm. and like I spend a lot of time there. Um, and it was a reclamation project. It was a, an existing kind of kind of mediocre '80s, not very well built home. But um, and that's the project, didn't you? You kind of stripped away the the sheetrock in a lot of areas, and you see the exposed studs and. Yeah, well, that's what a lot of people think. Yeah, that's actually new space. So. Oh, okay. So yeah, so we kind of built so it inside built it out. Yeah, so yeah. it's very intentional framing, very intentional, like uh, yeah. to the point where we're planing every two by six and not revealing any seams of plywood and integrated lighting that is recessed into to, to structural members. And you, yeah. 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 Insulated, nice. insulated from the outside. I mean, that construction type that we invented on my house was only possible with fluid applied waterproofing, which I'm a, 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 I'm a disciple of. Mm. Like, I, I don't do projects without fluid applied mm. waterproofing anymore. <laughs> um, just because it works and it's not that much more expensive and it takes so much liability out. And yeah. if there is a mistake, you know about it before it's a mistake. And there's lots of reasons. But, um, but yeah, the insulation is on the outside. So it's literally like exposed studs, ACX plywood. Everything's oiled and treated on the yeah. inside. And then it's fluid applied. And then it's six inches of foam. And then it's the old roofing from the existing house is the siding. And it's these very long screws that we had to um, map so that we were hitting studs through huh. seven inches of material. And yeah, you don't want to miss. Yeah. You don't want to miss. I mean, you do, but then you start over and yeah. whatever. But we made like a special little jig for the, for the cordless drill that you do it with. Anyways, we've done it now several times. Hmm. Um, and, but that house, uh, I think I, I mentioned that house just because like the house had no eastern windows and my wife and I are early morning, get up, pray, meditate, hmm. want to have that first son, you know, arrive to us and start our day. And so, you know, like our bedroom is like just all about East and, and we planted trees so that it's super private and it's like, we're in the city of Boulder and it's a very suburban zone. But like when we're in our bedroom in the morning, we could we could be in a forest anywhere in the world. Like there's no sign of humankind or man-made anything. There's no our room is devoid of any symbology, any words. Hmm. It's just it's a neutral space that is a direct, very direct, inframed connection to the natural world um, and weather and the moon, and it just it energizes me and it makes me a better person. And yeah. it's a building that did that, which when I was a little kid, I would have thought the opposite. I thought buildings took you away from that. Huh. And I, and I, to be able to live in something that brings me closer to it feels uh, satisfying and feels 
Like I want to give that to as many people as possible Mm. Hmm. because it feels right. Yeah. When you can, when you can actually do it, right? Like that thing that we all learn in school and like it doesn't get beat out of you in some firm and then you actually do it. And then in your case, you get to live in it and yeah, it's cool. So what are you, um, what are you, what are you most excited about for the future? What's, what's, what's future of chase birds and yeah i'm most excited about the future is that the world has a conscious a consciousness shift because Mm -hmm. our brains are the most malleable thing ever known Mm -hmm. and that we can all put our efforts towards restoring the the health of the earth that's the most that is what gets Mm -hmm. me up in the morning and it's happening and I'm surrounded by a group of people every day where we all have that same mentality and we're approaching every project that way and we're manifesting it. You know, we as humans can manifest anything we want. If we want to manifest war, we can fucking manifest war. Hmm. If we want to manifest healing the earth, we can do it in a split. We can do it immediately. Um, and that is uh, most inspirational to me. Uh, architecturally specific uh we we're uh uh making uh or designing a building right now for den within denver uh a high rise that is a mass tim it's made out of mass timber oh nice uh uh with the cats brothers uh that have a very good spirit and very good intentions and it is you know the idea of using mass timber to create our big buildings and our density is our way forward. Yeah. Um, it, we, uh, you know, a, a forest that pays is a forest that stays. And we have started to, you know, in Canada and North America, really understand our forests, you know, we, we clear cut them until the eighties. And then, uh, and then I think everyone realized that that didn't work. Both warehouser realized it and certainly environmentalists realize it. And certainly the animals realized it. And we have more forests today than we did in 1980. Uh, and that is growing and it is because, uh, uh, we are using that wood. Um, and, um, and it uh, is receiving a, a fair price now. Um, and these folks that own the, these forests realize that it is the new mining, but it's regenerative and it can mm-hmm. come back. So it's not mining. Mining is, uh, is finite and a forest, is, a forest is infinite. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the sun is infinite. I believe creativity is infinite and that we can keep progressing this and honing it to the point where we have restored health and we uh, have something for our kids and seven generations ahead. Certainly. I love that, man. You know, it's, it's just so good to talk to you. You know, it's been, it's been a desire of mine for so long and, uh, to get this time, uh, thank you, and and the story, and just like your your sort of infectious energy and uh, optimism, and uh, just these different concerns that, and you're actually doing it and and putting it into such great buildings and around us here in Denver, and 
thanks thanks for doing it and thanks for coming on keep it up yeah you too i really appreciate you and just getting the dialogue going i i would i've listened to a bunch of these podcasts they've been really informative mm-hmm. to me nice. and uh just uh you you're you are creating community through this it's a new way of creating community but you're doing it so you keep it up too thanks. i appreciate you thanks yeah. appreciate it You can visit architecting.com, that's architect-ing.com, to see images from this week's guest. And please rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Have a great week and keep connecting. You got some cool models behind you. What are those of? Yeah, these like these are like uh, grad school models. So, Dude, uh, those are amazing. These ones, yeah. So this, yeah. Uh, I, I, had, uh, I had Eisenman for a semester and wow. it was a pretty, pretty intense thing where, um, it was a partner project, but like every, every week he, he would come in one day a week and you'd have to go in and, and you essentially had like final quality models every, every week for him to look at and destroy. And so I have, we have like, uh, I, this, this is like the top part. Well, I guess this is the, yeah, this is the top. And then this is sort of the, the yeah. solid part. Um, but we, ha- I have a series of like eight of these and like half of my partners and half of mine, you know, and he destroy them literally. No, I mean, they're like solid wood, so he couldn't really do it. But, uh, just, just you mentally and emotionally destroy you. Uh, but, Where did uh, you go to school? Uh, I went to grad school at Yale. Okay. Yeah. That, yeah, that makes sense. He's there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that, that was, uh, yeah, like that was a just crazy learning experience with him specifically of, of essentially like what happens when you pretty much take away site and take away program, how do you design a project, a very rich project, you know? Yeah. And like, it, it was so embedded in the history of architecture and typology yeah. and, yeah. and, you know, to, totally on another side, but it, it just, it just builds up, you know, these really different tools, you know? And, right. um, and then like this, this one was, um, I wouldn't know what to do without a site. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, you know, I tap into the site so hard. That's like, it drives everything. For yeah. me, it kind of drives, it drives it. The function and the client are like part of it, but like the site is pretty much driving it. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and I feel that when I felt that way, but it was sort of like, what happens when that crutch gets kicked out? And, That's what I'm saying. And, and, I don't yeah, know what like, I'd do. I, I, I drowned. I mean, I was drowning the whole first half of the semester i was by far at the lowest level uh uh-huh. and then it's like once you sort of click into what it's about you know like we ended up winning the the best project of the class or whatever but uh nice. it's uh yeah uh and that's yeah i i, I that's what i liked about yale where uh i had three three uh advanced studios and it was three different people and so you really got to like sample kind of um these different ideas of way or ways of doing things, you know, and then figure right. out what that makes. But how yeah. are you liking teaching at CU? Yeah, I like it. I, uh, it's this constant balancing act of, yeah. of how to, how to balance things. And, you know, it's like you, you love being in that experience, that environment. Um, but then with my new office and in the podcast, you know, like one of those is going to suffer. And so it's, it's hard. You have kids too, right? And I have kids. Yeah. 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 Uh, How how old are they? uh, Five and two. Oh, Uh, so good. Dude, 
cherish this. Uh, just yeah. milk it for everything it's worth. I, that's all I can say because mine are 19 and 15. Oh, yeah. And they're amazing. But I there's nothing like this time. I just, yeah. I just, it's so good. I think it's especially and too, hard. Yeah, very hard. long days, very short years. Yeah, but like, it's special. Yeah, I'll tell you that. And my son, my son is the five year old, and now you know it's like he is so loving to me. You know, like he loves me oh, so much cool. and tells me like twenty times a day, and like. He's at school and I pick him up and he's like, I love my dad. And like all of his classmates are like clapping and cheering and like, yeah. Wow. And I'm like, never change. Yes. Like yeah. this, he will. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like, like, like next, like next year. Yeah. Fuck you, dad. Yeah. 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 Uh, but it'll come like, back. Yeah. Eventually. It'll come back. There's like. <laughs> Cycles of it. Yeah. It comes back. I saw that. I have, I have siblings and I saw. Yeah. It comes back. Uh, as awesome. long as it was there once like if it was never yeah. there there's families where it never happens which is really sad and yeah. I've seen that but that you have that now it may change but it will like totally come back in ways you can't imagine yeah and I mean you know I don't know how you deal with it but just of of this business and how difficult it is and of you know, I can so easily get myself so stressed out and be a, oh, a yeah. bad dad, you know, and be yeah. so so focused on everything and, and like finding that balance. And I mean, it seems like, you know, you have a great like physicality and like spirituality, like kind of centering maybe, but um, I at times, you yeah. know, I mean, I get stressed out too. Certainly I would say that some, the thing that I did do that I would recommend is I never worked on weekends. Hmm. I really, and like, I've also always had studios. Like I worked like the first couple few years of Trace Birds, I was like out of my little loft apartment. But like once I had kids, like I kind of, I had studios. I didn't, and like when I would come home, I literally would turn off my phone. Hmm. No media. No doing a little bit of business. Get shit done during the day and work really hard. But then like when I was home, it was all about that. And then I, you know, and I shouldn't say I never worked weekends because right. I certainly did. <laughs> but I would say the last maybe 15 years, I haven't so much. But, you know, I might work a 60-hour week and not hmm. see them for like three days straight because I'm leaving at 6 in the morning and I'm getting home at like 6. But then I'd be like super available all weekend, make them breakfast, do, you know, go do something outside, hang at like really immerse myself mm. with them because it's not very long before they're not going to be wanting to hang out with you on weekends. Yeah. I mean, it's like soon, like basically middle school, they're gone. Yeah. I mean, that's how my girls were. Like I, I, I would like all weekend long, make them breakfast, go to the park hang out, do whatever all day long, read them book to bed, you know, whatever. But it's like till they're like 12 and it's yeah. done. It's quick. It's yeah. super quick. Quicker than I would like. Yeah. And that's that's where it's so difficult where it's, you know, like I, I get up with them and eat breakfast, take them to school, you know. Cool. And then like, and then I work at home and then uh, make dinner and hang out with them. And then, you know, work from 
eight to midnight or whatever. But it's yeah. like even and then I try I do try to take weekends off or, or a good amount of it, but that's still only whatever like fifty hours, and it's like it just to to I'm not getting everything done, you know. Uh, yeah, and I'm also a little too stretched stretched out, but uh, yeah, no, I, and I I hear you, I hear you. But it's probably I mean, so I figure I just figured out like this year or this three months ago I figured out that I have ADHD. And so I'm like, I'm learning more about that. And like, so that's kind of been helping me and like explain things and like, well, why do I need to finish this whole, you know, to-do list? Like, I don't, like what happens if I don't do that? Nothing. Right. Like, push it off, you know? And, and it's how did a, you figure that out? Did you actually go see, like, go talk to someone? Y- yeah. Like, so get some my, and stuff? yeah. So my business partner, his wife has ADHD and he was like, and one day we were, we were kind of getting into it and he was like, do you have ADHD? ADHD? And I was like, fuck you. Like, why would you say that? Like, I thought it was like this bad thing. And, and right. he's like, no, no I, like, I think for my, my wife, yeah, like you do. And so, yeah, then I got tested and like, yeah, I do. And I'm, I'm like on medication and like therapist and like, you know, it's like discovering your brain in a whole new way. And, and yeah, you know, it's like, I, I feel like you feel like when you're in studio, you're, you kind of, it like changes you, right? Like you're, 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 in, you're intensified and like sort of you're you're working so many hours and it's so intense and then it's like how how does that drop off or not drop off when you get out of school and I always kind of thought like yeah I'm just like addicted to stress or whatever and so now like being able to put kind of a name to it and a and a kind of treatments to it has been helpful but that's the very beginning of a journey yeah I, I imagine that i have or certainly had growing up yeah that i was when, when you were when you were explaining all the things you do like that's for pretty sure classic like yeah yeah, uh, yeah. i mean skateboarding like trying to hit the same curve like a hundred times at night just to see if you can do it is kind of but i read the a couple of these books and you may have heard of this but like It's not a negative. No, yeah. It's like there's hunters. You're a hunter. I'm a hunter. Mm-hmm. And there's gatherers. Mm-hmm. Like, right? Yeah, yeah. Hunter wants to be like fucking full senses on. It's time to go. Yeah. Like, there's this thing. You're out in the hunt. And I don't know, like for me, like I like to go really hard and then I like go super chill. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's the hunter. But, but, you but you're, su- you you're super. The, you get the. Yeah, the but deer. your super chill is like a quarter of the time, and you're like hunting like three quarters, like kind of, kind these, of. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the sort of thing with that, I, that I've heard about the ADHD is where you're you're pretty much only fulfilled when you're creating, you know, and like that's when yeah. you're, and and I think I think like people like you or or me or like who maybe have it but don't know it for so long, you know, you you figure out ways to dealing with it, you know, and you right. figure out like how to gain things when you when you're not creating or or, or down, but right. uh, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. and then yeah, and then you just learn things like don't do like beach vacations. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like because it's not fun <laughs> with kids. Yeah. Or just being oh, just being too being the hunter doesn't want to like sit and do nothing. Like I would be like, that's not not that I need to be moving all like I don't know. You just work with it. It's it's not a negative. And I mean, back to the astrology thing. Like that was a thing that like my wife taught me very very early on. We were like first together. I was like, 
a lot of people talk about certain things like negative or positive, kind of like black and white thing, like certain attributes, like for instance, like with my astrology, like, um, uh, 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 how would I describe this? Um, but like, I think about death quite a bit hmm. and like, like hmm. pretty much every day. Interesting. Like, and it's not like a, like you could, you could, you could, you could describe someone who does that as like, well, that's fucking goth and negative and not yeah. good, right? You just who wait for that be next thinking raven to about come at that? you. Yeah, yeah. But like for me, it's like motivational. It's like, mm. dude, this could be the last one. Let's fucking mm. let's do this. Let's do it right and make the most of it. And because I don't know, yeah, you know, it's more, you know, so it's like, and these aspects in astrology, like it's amazing how right on they are for hmm. people and how right on, like I mentioned earlier about like contracts and stuff like that. Like, like my wife will just like give me briefs. She'd be like, Hey, next month, these weeks, it's going to be a shit show of technology. Just be aware. Don't get stressed out. I would, you know, da -da -da. Wow. or like even things like, um, like this last year was like, Hey, uh, during February, like, it would behoove you to put time into like looking for real estate. Cause I'm, I'm looking, we've been renting. I, we're in like our seventh studio right now. And we've always rented these spaces. I really want to build like yeah. the proper, like trace birds facility. Cause we're so unique and I want to like do it right. Yeah. And so I was like, all right, this is like, there's these six weeks where it's going to be kind of on for you to find something like that. Hmm. Like, yeah. Just interesting. Huh. It's, 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 it's yeah, a lot That's of cool. you know, a lot of people poo-poo it and like new age and occult and all that, and it's like, it's so old, and I've, it's, and it's all about the astrologists and how they present it, but it's all like just trying to be the best you yeah. can be. That's all yeah. it's about. Yeah, it's that nothing sounds good. more than that. You know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. All right, uh, man. Have a good week. Get with your kids. Yeah. Enjoy. I really appreciate this. And uh, let's uh, keep going. Let me know how I can help you with this stuff, too, you know? Yeah, that, that'd be cool. This is Sarah Hubbard, host of You and Me Kid, a podcast about starting and raising a family on your own. We just launched season two, and I'm speaking with single moms, those still considering, and experts in relevant fields to give you a real sense of what the day-to-day -day experience of solo parenting looks and feels like. Plus, this season, I've partnered with California Cryobank, the number one sperm bank in the U.S. So wherever you are in the process, this podcast provides some support, humor, and helpful information. Listen to You and Me Kid wherever you get your podcasts.